So let's take a, a moment to pray, and then uh, we'll get into this morning's lesson. Lord God, we thank you for everything you are and everything you have done and do for us. And on those dark days when we just don't feel it, may we know it in our heart of hearts. May we cling to that rock, and may you see us through, and may we sing your praises over and over again. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sins and for offering us an eternal home in heaven. I so look forward to that day. And all of God's children said, amen. amen. So I know uh, what most of you are going to be doing this evening. <laughs> but this afternoon, uh, the discipleship class is meeting after services. If uh, you'd like to meet some new people and continue your Christian education, I very much encourage you to join the discipleship class. I remember I went there a few weeks back. You know, they took a hiatus. And I walked into the room because I hadn't been there for a while. And things had changed. And up on the board were the names of a bunch of restaurants. I was like, what are you guys doing? They said, well, after discipleship class, we all go out to lunch together. And we pick the restaurant now. And that was cool. And then the next week, they had Red Lobster. And then a bunch of foreign names. And I was like, okay, now what? He said, well, it's, I forgot who it was. It's so-and-so's birthday, and really the birthday person gets to pick the restaurant. So this is just Red Lobster in six different languages. Ah, okay. <laughs> so they have a good time, and I'd encourage you to join them if you want to have a good time in the Lord as well. Okay, we have been going through the Old Testament. We've probably hit over 50 lessons just in the Kings and the Prophets. That's, you know, a solid year on just the kings and the prophets. And so we're almost done with the Old Testament. We've got Zechariah and Malachi, and off we go. We are going to take a break for Esther, like next week or the week after, whenever uh, the Feast of Purim is, to deal with that. And then into the New Testament we go. Now last week I said, if you have a preference for a New Testament gospel, let me know. Matthew, Luke, John. I'm not doing Mark. I've, I, out of the four, I decided I'm not doing Mark. I'm da- I've got three now to choose from. Only one person has given me their preference. Now, I find that very interesting. Because usually people never hesitate to share their opinion. Especially when you don't ask for it or want it. So now I'm giving you an opportunity, and I'd very much like to hear your opinion. So shoot me an email. Let me know which book, uh, Matthew, Luke, or John, you'd like to hear from. We are in Zechariah. Children of Israel had turned their backs on God. God sent them prophet after prophet over hundreds of years. They got worse, they got worse, they got worse. Though there were times of revival in Judah, not as much in in Israel, the north. And so the Assyrians came in and destroyed Israel. And God told Judah, watch your step or it's going to happen to you too. Judah just turned her back, turned her back. And so it happened to Judah. The Babylonians came in. We were dispersed for 70 years. 70 years were up. We come back to the land, start to rebuild the temple. But we got distracted. So God sent the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah to get us back on task. But I need to clarify that a little bit. When I tell you we came back to the land, that really gives you an impression that you shouldn't have. Because only about 50,000 or so came back to the land. Well, there were millions of us. Where were we? Stayed in Babylon. Persians took over, but we still stayed there which is kind of odd. Why why would we stay there? Well, just like we stay here. You know, you get jobs, you get life, you get neighbors, you get comfortable. 
You're, you're settled. Who wants to pick up and move to a broken down, destroyed country and start over again? Really? So they just decided they would stay. So Zechariah says this to the children of Israel in chapter 2, verse 6. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion, escape, you who live in the daughter of Babylon. Now, I don't know exactly when this was written, but this is at the time when Xerxes was king. He was a contemporary. Esther was queen. And so I can imagine if this happened right before, Zechariah is telling them, flee, flee, flee from Babylon. That's like saying flee from the United States. Why would I flee from here? Everybody flees to here. This is the best place to be. What do you mean flee? I want to be here. Babylon was comfortable. It was modern. It was prosperous. It was cushy. So imagine receiving a letter like that. Well, if it came from just your friend, you'd ignore it. But if it comes from a prophet, you better listen. So it's right around this time, can't say exactly when, but when Xerxes appoints his chief vizier, a guy named Haman. Haman got offended because a Jewish guy wouldn't bow down to him, so he decided to extinguish all the Jewish people. The first attempted genocide of the Jewish nation happened right then. And we'll talk about it in a couple weeks because we're coming up to the celebration of the holiday called Purim, which marks that event. So, flee. Why? It's cushy here. Yeah, it's cushy here until tomorrow when the chief vizier decides all of you are going to be executed. Not so cushy anymore. It also makes me think about their spiritual condition. These are supposed to be the people of God. Been punished, been purged, been purified, supposedly. Time to come back and start fresh with God in God's land, Israel. Nah, we're good. So, I'm thinking maybe they weren't as good as they thought they were. They really weren't that passionate about going back and connecting with God in the holy place and building the temple. So, yeah, they need to flee from Babylon in more ways than one, not just because of Haman, but because they're like the frog in the kettle. They've gotten comfortable away from God. That's not a good place to be. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, have you ever had a Christian friend or somebody you thought was Christian, they went to church with you, and then maybe from a job or they got sick or they moved, and then they started showing up a couple times a month and then once a month, and then you haven't seen them for a few years, and then they kind of slipped away from the Lord? If you've ever seen that, let me see your hands. Oh, wow, more than half of you. Yeah. They got comfortable away from God. You know, in, in the secular world, you go to the gym faithfully, you diet, it works great until you decide not to do it a few days. And the next thing you know, it, it just all falls apart. Walking with God is kind of like that. It, it's, it takes work. And if we get lazy with walking with God, it doesn't happen naturally. It won't happen automatically. We're not automatically going to be spiritually healthy. We have to work at it. These people obviously weren't working at it. But God loves these people. And he wants them to flee Babylon. He wants their safety. He wants their peace. Look at what he says in verse 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. That's the people. God is basically saying anybody who messes with Israel, it's like sticking your finger in God's eye. Now, I learned a few things growing up. You don't pull on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. 
You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger and you don't stick your finger in God's eye. You just don't do it. So if you're going to be messing with Israel, it's not going to turn out well for you. Look at world history. Look at everybody who messed with Israel. Many of the nations don't even exist anymore. I mean, when's the last time you met a Hittite or a Hivite or Jebusite or a Girgashite or a Canaanite? They don't even exist anymore. And the huge empires that oppressed Israel, Egypt was the world power till Moses. God said, let my people go. And Egypt didn't do it. And they crashed and burned. When's the last time you met a Babylonian or an Assyrian? They exist, but their world power crashed and burned. So in the news just this week, UN resolution, umpteen thousand, a million, whatever. Israel needs to, what is it, give all the lands back to the settlers and stop settling the land and this, that, and the next thing. Another condemnation against Israel by the UN, this one from the Security Council. So here's what happens. Hamas lobs in about a thousand missiles and the UN says nothing. Israel builds a wall to keep out the terrorists and all the world starts yelling apartheid. You can't do that. That's not right. That's not right. They blow each other up. Innocent people, discotheques, pizza huts. That UN doesn't say anything. But Israel decides to build a house next to Jerusalem, and now the whole UN's like up in arms and let's take them to the Hague. I want to remind the world and you that he who messes with Israel, like sticking your finger in God's eye, you don't want to do it. God loves Israel. So there's several things I want to share with you this morning, launching, launching out of Zechariah and this passage about you know, God wanting to protect Israel. I'm going to talk about God's special relationship with Israel this morning. Uh, don't be jealous. Don't be upset because you're not part of the Jewish people. I think by the time I'm done, I'll send you all home happy. But it's kind of like this. Doesn't Jesus love everybody? Yes. But he did pick 12. Now, I, I imagine if you weren't one of the 12, you might have felt you gotten your feelings hurt. Well, doesn't he love me too? Of course he loves you too. But he picked 12. And now out of the 12, if you'll recall, he picked three. Peter, James, and John. They went to the Mount of Transfiguration. The others weren't allowed up there. Well, I guess if you were a little carnal, you might have thought, well, doesn't he love me too? Well, why is Peter so special? Why do James and John get to go up to I want to go up to the mountain. Out of the 12, he picked three. And out of the three, one talks in the book of John about the disciple whom Jesus loved leaning back on his chest during dinner at the Last Supper. Did he love all 12? Of course. But he had something special for the three. Did he love all three? Of course. But he had something special for the one. Does he love all people? Yes, he does. But he's got something special for Israel. And it's important in today's culture that you understand that. Now, when I say Israel... It can mean two things. It can mean that geopolitical entity that's stuck between all of its charming neighbors, the only piece of real estate there with no oil. Or it can just talk about the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And sometimes those are pretty much the same, and sometimes they're not. Like right now, there's this huge surge in anti-Semitism. A lot of it, not so much here where we can see it, but in other parts of the world. But anti-Semitism has also taken on a different mask. It's taken on a, a way of being politically correct. They don't call it anti-Semitism. Now it's anti-Zionism. It's okay to hate Israel. It's just not okay to hate Jews. Because it's just politics. It's not racial. It's not ethnic. Yeah, it is. You've got one free country in the Middle East. And everybody around talks about blowing them up, destroying them. They cut off people's hands. They kill their women. They blame them when they get raped. That's what the rest of the world's like around there. And yet the whole world is always condemning Israel. Yet you might consider it politics. I see it for what it is. It's just pure anti-Semitism. So it's important for us as Christians to understand what God thinks about the Jewish people. So I'm going to share with you four things and then a fifth this morning. First thing, God loves the Jewish people with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, listen. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I'm glad that word everlasting is in there. Because if God had just said to the Israelis a few thousand years ago, I love you, then maybe somebody could say, yeah, that was then. That was until they turned their back on him. Now he doesn't love them anymore. But he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And remember, after all the murders, all the idolatry, God still brought them back to the land. See, God's love is not conditional. God loves people. And if his love for Israel was conditional upon their behavior, wouldn't his love for us be conditional on our behavior? Yeah, so if God can reject Israel for their sins, then God can reject us for our sin. But Jesus came despite our sin, and he loves us anyway. So I don't think it's healthy. It's unbiblical. It's bad doctrine to think that God rejected the Jewish people because they rejected Jesus. That's wrong because God's love for the Jewish people is eternal, according to Jeremiah. And it's also wrong to say that they rejected Jesus. Well, what do you mean, Steve? Was Peter Jewish? Yeah, did he reject Jesus? No. Was Paul Jewish? Yeah. Did he reject Jesus? No. Was James Jewish? Yeah. All the apostles were Jewish. The first church was in Jerusalem. A lot of Jewish people rejected Jesus. That's true. But not all of them. Now, how about Gentiles? How many of them follow Jesus? Not that many. I mean, how many of your friends, how many people at your work are actual Christians? Not many. So everybody rejects Jesus. That's bad. He wants us all to be saved. But if we think it's just Jewish people, that's racism. We all stand before God as sinners. And we all get saved by faith, by grace. All right, so God loves the Jewish people with an everlasting love. For you parents, you'll know what I'm talking about. For those of you who aren't parents, maybe as a babysitter or an aunt or an uncle. But the baby starts to learn how to walk. And you'll stand over them holding up their, their arms, right? Helping them walk, doing this kind of thing. How, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. That is 
what parents do. That's what love is all about. When you see that image of helping a child, it's, it's love, it's support, it's protection, it's training. You're, you're helping this, this kid walk. You know what I like the best? I like when they knew how to take two or three steps and they came at you with a big smile on their face and then just fell into your arms. Ah, I love that part. Listen to what God says through Hosea. When Israel was a little child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim, Israel, to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. God says, I love these people. They're special to me. So the first point I want to share with you this morning is that God loves Jewish people with an everlasting love. And messing with them is like sticking your finger in his eye. The second thing I want to share with you is that God has promised he will never reject his people. Punish, yes. Discipline, certainly. But fully reject, never. I mean, never with a capital never. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below searched out will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of what they have done, declares the Lord. So this is Jeremiah, the exile prophet, if you'll recall, the one who saw the destruction of Judah and then ministered to the survivors. God is speaking through him saying, despite what Israel has done, I will never reject them fully. As long as there's stars in the sky and the sea has waves, they will be my people. So, one, God loves Israel with an everlasting love. Two, God will never reject Israel. Punish, yes. Reject, no. Number three, God promises that one day all of Israel will be saved. All Jewish people will one day follow Jesus. Please open up your Bibles to Romans 11. Now, if you didn't bring your own, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you got an Android or something like that, you can open up your cell phone Bible. There's several good ones out there. For those of you who don't have the one you love, I recommend My Sword. That's the one I use. It's called My Sword. And I just find it the most user-friendly, and I, I enjoy using it the most. And you want to go to Romans chapter 11. If you want to know how God's going to deal with the nations, Romans 10 and 11, you you need to know them. But I'm just going to take a quick little look at one piece. A piece that God promises he will save all of Israel. Romans 11, 25 through 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So apparently people were. And Paul's trying to rectify that so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening, in part, until the full number of Gentiles come in. 
so that you may not be conceited. Because Gentiles constitute most of the church, it looks like God is done with the Jews and he's opened up the door just to the Gentiles. And that has caused many to have this, ah, God's done with Israel and he loves us instead now. Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't get conceited. That's not the situation. Yes, they have experienced a hardening in part. Not all Jewish people disbelieve in Jesus. In fact, you've got a pastor who's Jewish and believes in Jesus. So there are Jewish people that believe in Jesus. The hardening's in part. Until, so there's a time when that's going to end. Until the full number of Gentiles has come in. It's as if God has this checklist. And every time a Gentile gets saved, he checks it off. And there's this number. I don't know what the number is. Let's just call it 10 billion. As soon as that 10 billionth Gentile gets saved, everything's going to change. The fullness of Gentiles will have come in. And so, verse 26, all Israel will be saved, just as it's written. So he says in Romans, all Israel will be saved. Then he quotes the Old Testament where it says the same. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, from Israel. Jacob is a synonym for Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. Now, I think this is amazing. God has promised that an entire civilization's worth of people are going to be born again. That's amazing. When? Don't know. I just know that when the time comes, when Jesus comes back is when I think it's going to happen, that every Jew left on the planet at that time is going to become a believer, which is an amazing thing. So, number one, God loves the Jewish people with an everlasting love. Number two, God will never reject Israel. Punish Israel? Absolutely. We've seen it time and again. But fully reject, be done with Israel? Never. Number three, God promises that all of Israel will be redeemed one day. You know, it's an interesting thought. But when we share the gospel with people, maybe some of the work that you're doing now is going to be the seed that God uses to fulfill this. These things don't happen in a vacuum. It's not like just one day there's a bunch of non-believers walking around and the next day, hey, praise God. They've been witnessed to. They've been nurtured. The Holy Spirit's been working on their hearts. And maybe you're the one who planted that seed. You know, think about it. We talk about the end times maybe really close. Well, if that's the case, and I think it can be, maybe the people you're sharing the gospel with right now are going to be the people who get saved after the tribulation. Maybe these messages going out right now, these people are going to watch and use them to get saved when the Antichrist is doing his insanity and destroying the planet. God promises that one day all of Israel will be redeemed. Number four, God promises to live amongst the Jewish people someday. Zechariah Chapter 2, it's the chapter we're in, verse 10. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. So, I'm walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and I'm in what looks like an Arab neighborhood. The old city is cool. I can't wait to walk some of you through there. And I see this huge star of David and an Israeli flag just right there. Over a house. It's like, what's that? Oh, yeah, that was uh, Netanyahu's house when he grew up. Or I think it was Netanyahu, one of, one of the big guys. It's like, right here? It just looks like a little nothing house, you know, just right there in the middle of nowhere. 
So, in a few years, walking through the streets of Jerusalem, oh yeah, that's God's house. Let me read it to you again. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I'm coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Yeah, see that little raised area right there? That's the temple. That's God's house. Want to go see him? Yeah! Let's go! Let's go up. Let's go say hi. No, no, God, really. Yeah, God, really. Come on. Let's go visit. It's lunchtime. Ever had a man a burger? He serves him every time at lunchtime. Let's go. The New Testament says the same thing, that God's going to live amongst the Jewish people. But it's funny. When people read it in Zechariah, they understand the context. Oh, God's going to live amongst the Jewish people. When they read it in the New Testament, they think, oh, God's going to live amongst the Gentiles. I'm not done yet. But it didn't say that here. Listen. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Amen? For the old order of things has passed away. Where's his 90210? Where's his zip code? It's in Jerusalem. It's not Moscow. It's not Damascus. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Washington. It's Jerusalem. He said it way back then, and he said it again. He's coming to live here, and he's going to live in Jerusalem. So, number one, God loves the Jewish people with an everlasting love. Number two, God will never reject Israel. Punish and discipline, sure. Reject, no. Number three, God promises that all of Israel will be redeemed someday. Number four, God promises to live with the Jewish people one day. Now, if I ended the sermon there, you'd probably go home depressed. It's like, wow, that's great for Jews. Uh, I'm Mexican. Hello. That didn't help. I'm Anglo. Thank you. Where's my peace? Oh, you get your peace. Number five. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Non-Jews can share in the promise too. Here's where it gets good for everybody. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are immersed or baptized into the Messiah have clothed yourselves with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Jesus. So wait a minute, Steve. You spent all that time talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, and now you're saying there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles? Yes. Yes and no. Here's what I mean. Spiritually speaking, there's no difference in God's sight between a man and a woman, right? Equal dignity, honor, and worth. You can't say women are more spiritual than men. You can't say, oh, because men are the pastors, they're more spiritual. No, no, and double no. God has roles, true. There are things that women can be and do that men can never be or do. 
God has made women the mothers. And you're good at it. And it's your job. You could, we could never be mothers. We're not good at that sort of thing. Well, there's things that God has men do that women shouldn't be doing either. We're the dads. We're the fathers. There are also church-specific roles. Even though men and women are equal, yes, the men are supposed to be pastors. You know, in ancient Israel, out of the 12 tribes, only the Levites could serve in the temple. What if you were a godly man from the tribe of Judah? You wanted to serve in the temple. Nope, can't do it. You have to be from the tribe of Levi. But I wasn't born a Levite. Great, then you'll never be a priest. Next. I don't imagine any of the Israelis back in the day said, that's not fair. Maybe they did. I don't know. So is there a difference between men and women? Yes. But no difference in spiritual standing. There's neither male nor female. Is there a difference between Jews and Gentiles? Yes. But there's no difference in spiritual standing. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for Jerusalem. God has a plan for Egypt. God has a plan for Assyria. God has a plan for the United States. But like I said at the beginning of the lesson, God has a special place in his heart for Israel. And he made the Jewish people like the nucleus of the plan of salvation for the rest of the nations. Remember I told you there were 12, there were three, there were one with the apostles? Well, I told you there's one, there's Israel. But then there's three. In the prophets... You ready for this? It says God will have Israel, Egypt, and Assyria as his special blessing. Egypt? Have they ever walked with God? No. But they will. Assyria? You ready for this? Right now they are Israel's biggest enemy because today we call them Iran. They will be a special blessing to God along with Israel and Egypt blows my mind. But if you look at Israel's history throughout the Bible, that the God would love them, blows my mind. And if you look at people in general, <laughs> there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Messiah Jesus. There's a passage of Scripture because there's this phenomena that depending on the culture you're in, if you were born and raised Jewish and you come to believe in Jesus, it might be more comfortable and socially acceptable to stop acting Jewish and just pretend you're a Gentile. It's easier that way and more comfortable. And there's also a movement of people who think, wow, man, I want to be part of God's people. I want to hang out with the Jews and start acting like a Jew and be Jewish. Let me tell you what Paul said about that. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Circumcision is a, a word for being Jewish. Was a man um, circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised or not Jewish when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Here's the key. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when called, called by God. So, it would be wrong for a Gentile to be all jealous of Jewish people and wish they were one of those. And it would be wrong for a Jewish people to be all jealous of Gentiles and wish he was one of those. 
It'd be all wrong for an ancient Israelite, Israelite to wish he could be in the priesthood when he can't. We should be content with what God has given us. Men can't be mommies. Women can't be daddies. But what God has for you is exactly what God wants for you. And it's neat because most women I've met would never want to be a man, which drives me nuts. How couldn't you want to be a man? Being a man's great. Because most men I know wouldn't want to be a woman. Now, yeah, there's exceptions. <laughs> but generally speaking, we like the situation God has put us in. And that's how it should be. We should like the situation God has put us in. And if we don't, there's something wrong with us. We need to work on that. Jew, Gentile, male, female. Smart, not so smart. Beautiful, not so beautiful. Wealthy, not so wealthy. I mean, if we're not wealthy, we want to be wealthy. If we're not beautiful, we want to be beautiful. If we're pop not popular, we want to be popular. And yet it's kind of funny, on the other hand, you know, all the famous people, try, they do everything they can to stay out of the public eye because it just so drives them nuts. They're never left alone. Rich people might love their wealth, but it doesn't help them make friends or be happier. And most of the beautiful, thin women I know wish they were beautiful and thin. They just can't see it in themselves. Like that country song goes, she don't know she's beautiful. Grass is always greener. But I love that book title, Over the Septic Tank. <laughs> Grass is always greener, Over the Septic Tank. God has put you where he wants you. That's where you need to be. And longing to be somewhere else is not usually a good thing. The only exceptions are, of course, you can better your situation. You know, in the old days, when there was slavery, God always said, hey, do what you can to get free. Legally, of course. Don't run away, but buy your freedom, you know. Beg for it, whatever you got to do. So, Jew and Gentile are one in Messiah. A little more from Ephesians. On the cross, Messiah did away with our hatred for each other. Did he? Yes, he did. And so that makes me think, when there's anti-Semitism, one thing I can be pretty sure of, that anti-Semite is not a Christian. Doesn't John say that if you hate, you're walking in the darkness and don't know the light? that only people who love walk in the light. So if you hate an entire race of people, now use anti-Semitism because that's the special group that God talks about. But if a white guy hates black people just because they're black, well, he's a racist. That's hate. He's hating a whole class of people for no reason. You can't love God and have hate living in your heart. Something's wrong. Something's very, very wrong. On the cross, Jesus did away with hatred for each other. He also made peace between us and God by uniting Jews and non-Jews in one body. Messiah came and preached peace to you Gentiles who are far from God and peace to us Jews who are near to God. And because of Christ, all of us can come to the Father by the same Spirit. You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. So according to the New Testament, 
there's this picture of like an olive tree. And some of the branches that were not producing fruit were whacked off. And God would graft in new branches that would produce fruit. Those new branches were Gentiles. And those branches that were whacked off were Jewish people that were not bearing fruit. But the whole tree is still there. It's still a Jewish tree, Jewish roots. And then Paul says, don't get high-minded. Don't get arrogant. God can lop you off too. The idea is we're supposed to be one. So elsewhere, he gives another picture. It's like a body. You don't think, oh, this finger, that's a different race than this finger. No, you just see it as part of the body. You don't even say, this isn't important. I can just cut that off. I don't need it. This is, this is you just as much as anything else is you. You need it. And that's what God is saying. We've become one in the Lord. This idea, though, isn't new to the New Testament. It's not like, wow, what a revelation. It was told in the Old Testament that this was going to happen. But because of racism, because of foolishness, people just didn't get it. Listen, I'm in Zechariah 2. Listen to what it says. I'm in verse 10. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Next verse. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. The word nations translated Gentiles. It could read just as well. Many Gentiles will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. So it isn't just the Jewish people. God says he'll live among everybody who joins with the Jewish people and becomes part of the tree and part of the body. But what about the haters? Mm -mm. No hope for the haters. The only way to live with God then is to have God live within you now. Bring him into your heart. Jesus died for our sins, and we have to repent of our sins and follow him. And if we do, we will be redeemed, just like all of Israel will be redeemed one day by believing in him. If you've not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, I would like to encourage you to do so. It's the easiest and hardest decision you'll ever make. I, I understand that. But it's simple to understand. And it goes, a prayer to follow Jesus would go something like this. And if you're not a follower and want to become a follower, you can say my words after me in your heart and make them your own. The prayer would go something like this. God, I do believe in you. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. I will turn away from my sins. I, I, I will stop to the best of my ability doing things you don't want me to do. And I promise to follow you for the rest of my life. Help me to do so. Amen. If you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you're willing to commit to him and follow him, that's how you're born again.